good morning. If you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan. I'm so grateful that you have joined us today, uh, that you are with us here today. I want you to know that you are all welcome here, and I am so grateful that you have joined us today. Now, the past few weeks, my kids and I have been paying attention to Texas politics, and before you think that this is that type of sermon, it's not. Uh, We've been paying attention to Texas politics because Texas government is in session and they are making new laws. And one of the bills that was being debated and voted on last week, our family was particularly interested in. And I made a point to them that, hey, our local representative voted in a different way than what we wanted that bill to go. And one of my kids told me, well, hey, that's not fair. And I said, well, no, it's not. But what that means is that we have a representative and he is our representative Our area in the Permian Basin voted for him, and now he gets to represent and be the voice of our area. See, he is our representative. Now, we understand that in our culture today, don't we? Uh, Although we don't always necessarily agree with it. But we also get this concept in another way in the sports world, don't we? Like, think about the Olympics. Oftentimes we'll say, well, our country came away with this many gold medals. Well, if you think about it, like none of us went to the Olympics and competed in those sports, but yet someone who competed in those sports went as our representative. They represented us, and so when they win gold medals, we say that our country won gold medals. Now, for the most part in our culture in the United States, in Odessa, Texas today, we are a highly individualistic people. In our eyes, Each person rises or falls or succeeds or fails according to their own actions and decisions and abilities. But we also see the loneliness that comes with that mindset, don't we? However, in other centuries and times past and in other cultures today even, there's this idea of human solidarity, that you're a part of a whole family or you're a part of a tribe. And there's this concept of solidarity so that when one person in your tribe who is the head of your tribe, if they succeed, then you all succeed. If they fail, then you all fail. This is the concept of what a representative means. See, a representative involves those that they represent in the fruits of their action, whether it be for good or for bad. Now, in our text today, we're going to look at two examples of representatives that we all have as humans, either as Adam as our representative or as Jesus Christ as our representative. And the fancy theological word for what we're going to be looking at today is federal headship. Now, I don't don't expect you to remember that, but that's the fancy theological word for what we're looking at today. A person who represents us as the head of a covenant. Now, earlier this year, we began walking through the book of Romans, and we took a little bit of break as we walked through the Easter season. However, today we're kicking back off in the book of Romans as we spend a majority of 2023 walking through the book of Romans verse by verse and seeing that uh, this uh, gospel tells us that, or, or this, this letter tells us that we discover the power of the gospel for all people, including us. Now, remember, it was Paul who wrote this letter, uh, the book of Romans. And he wrote it for the purpose of reminding the Christians in Rome that it was Jesus Christ alone who saved them. He was writing to a church that was made up of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. And they were in conflict with one another over whether Jewish customs and practices should be observed and mandated within the church. And this created quite a bit of tension in the church. So Paul was writing to a church that was divided. The last time we were in the book of Romans, we looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we discovered the benefits of our justification, seeing our big idea that because Jesus paid it all, 
today we have reason to rejoice. Today we're going to pick up and finish the book of, or the chapter 5 in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And we'll be discovering that Jesus is the new and better Adam, just as we have just sung. Our big idea for today is this. While we were all born sinners and bound to death, Christ can cancel the record of our sin and can offer us life. So everything that we'll be looking at and studying today will be framed around that thought. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, take it out and turn to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. If you don't have a Bible today, we should have one in the seat in front of you that you can use, and you can find our passage today on page 885 in that pew Bible. That being said, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 now. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And Paul begins in verse 12 here saying in our text today, using the word therefore. Now in therefore, he's always pointing back to what he's previously said. And what he's doing here is he's connecting what he's previously said in chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11, where he explained the benefits that believers have because of our salvation, namely being that we have peace with God. So Paul here is telling us the same idea, except Paul tells us here about the enemies that threaten those blessings of our salvation, which namely are sin and death. And then in verse 12, we see a three-step chain reaction describing three stages in human history up to the time of Jesus Christ. First, we see in the beginning of verse 12 that sin entered in the world through Adam like we see in Genesis chapter 3. So how did sin get into the world? Well, sin came through the first human, which was Adam. Now, Paul is not saying that Adam is the author of sin. No, we see contrary to that in 1 John chapter 3, where we see that the devil has been uh, sinning since the beginning. But we're told here that the way that sin got into our world is through one man who is our representative, who is Adam. Second, we see in verse 12 here that death entered into the world because of sin, as a penalty of sin. See, in the Garden of Eden, when humanity was first created, God declared it all as good. There was no pain, there was no hurt, there was no death. But we see here in verse 12 that because of sin, death entered into the world. Third, we see in verse 12 here evidence that death spread to all humans because all sinned. Now, this is a huge statement that Paul is making here. Paul is saying that we can know that all sinned because death spread to all. See, what Paul is beginning to peel back the layers of the onion that he's making his argument through our entire passage today here is that Adam was our representative for all of humanity. And because Adam sinned, we have all come from Adam and we are all sinners. We are born into sin. You may say, well, Jonathan, you have an eight-month-old daughter. And Jonathan, are you saying that she is a sinner? Well, I am. 
And not because she has knowledge of, our sin, of her sin, because she does not at eight months old. Not because she has knowledge of right and wrong, because she does not at eight months old. But I'm saying she is a sinner because our text says this, because she is a descendant of Adam. And you may say, well, how do I know this? Well, if you're a parent, then maybe you'll understand this uh, thought here. Oftentimes before I go to bed, the last thought that I have on my mind before I fall to sleep is a prayer over my children. God, would you just sustain my children throughout the night as they sleep? God, would they not perish or would they not die in their sleep? And maybe I'm alone in having those thoughts before I go to sleep, but that's often my prayer before I fall asleep. And why do I fear this? Well, because as awful as it is, real death is a real thing in infants and children. Well, what does Paul say here? He says the result of sin in verse 12 we see clearly is death. And we see that the outcome of sin has spread to all of humanity. And we're all born into sin because Adam is our representative. See, Adam's sin is imputed to all of humanity, to all of mankind. And this is really bad news. And Paul keeps carrying on with this bad news in verse 13. And we just wish he'd get over with it, right? But here in verse, uh, in verse 13, he continues explaining this bad news. He says, further evidence in verse 13, he says, sin was in the world even before the law was given. It could be counted as sin because there was no law. Well, how do we know this? Well, then in verse 14, Paul continues. He says, well, we know this because you see from Adam to Moses, there was death. So even before the law was given, there was death in our world. Before there was a law for sin to be judged against, there was death in our world. See, Paul's point is he, that he's making here is that all are sinners because Adam, as our representative, sinned and brought death to all humans. Because of Adam, all sinned. See, sin and death have brought about this great conflict. Because of sin, people are separated from God. And because of sin, death became part of humanity. See, when Adam took that first bite of fruit in Genesis 3, like we see, uh, the first sin committed, he wasn't merely breaking a rule, but it was humanity declaring that they knew better than God. And through that disobedience, through that sin, humans at that moment removed God from the throne of their lives and we placed ourselves there. And the consequence for Adam is the consequence for us all, and that is death. But let's continue in verse 15 through verse 17, where Paul begins to contrast Adam and Christ in their work. Let's look at verse 15 through 17. It says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, even more so, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul, in these three verses, he presents this contrast between the work of Adam and between the work of Jesus Christ. So let's walk through those one per verse real quick. In verse 15, we see that Paul says, One man... Adam brings death to all, while one man, Jesus Christ, brings life to all. 
See, what Paul is clearly saying here is that there is a universal death for humanity that is attributed to that single solitary sin that Adam committed. See, Paul has been stating over and over since the beginning of Romans that the ground of the sinner's acceptance with God is not himself, but it's within the merit of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's nothing that you or I can do to earn our salvation. But Paul goes further here. He says, not only can you not be good enough to earn your salvation, but the result of your death is not only based on your sins, but also the sinfulness that have been imputed upon you, that have been placed upon you, that have been inherited by your representative, who is Adam. We know this because death has spread to all of humanity. And then in verse 16, Paul continues. He said, that one man, Adam's sin action leads to judgment for us all. While one man, Jesus Christ's action, leads to justification available to all. See, what Paul is getting at here is that this free gift of grace has a different result than the death that comes from Adam as our representative. See, the free gift of grace brings justification, which simply means that God is able to forgive us of our sins and that our sins are not counted toward us, but that Jesus Christ becomes the payment for our sins. In other words, the effect of these actions of these two men are vastly different. In Adam, God's judgment brings condemnation. However, new life in Jesus Christ, God brings justification that we are no longer held guilty for our sins in Jesus Christ. Now, I loved math in high school. I was one of those weird kids. And this is a math here that doesn't add up. One man's sin brings judgment for all, while one man's action brings forgiveness of many sins. But praise God that God's grace math is not a math that does not compute, but it's a miracle math. See, we get what we don't deserve. The forgiveness of all of our sins because of the one act of the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross. Finally, in verse 17, Paul says this, that for if by one man... Adam's offense, death reigned, even greater, even more so, is God's wonderful free gift of grace and his free gift of righteousness, which causes life to reign. So Paul tells us here that death not only reigned from Adam to Moses, but because of the sin of Adam, death reigns permanently for all of humanity. Now, theologian John Stott said this. He said this world is a place of cemeteries. However, while we're told that that's really bad news, the good news is this. Even greater is God's wonderful and abundant provision of grace and his gift of righteousness. And the recipients of God's abundant grace will reign in life. See, even though this world is a place filled with cemeteries, because of the action of Jesus Christ, he is able to deliver us from the rule of death to where we can reign in forever life. See, what Paul is getting at here is that through Adam, death has been placed upon us. It has been imputed upon us. However, through Jesus Christ's righteousness, life can be imputed and placed upon us. This is the doctrine of original sin, that we are all guilty in God's eyes. Now, theologian and pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, the early 1900s, famous Welsh preacher, he famously preached through the book of Romans and said this about the doctrine of original sin. He said, I don't fully understand it, but I don't come to this pulpit to say things I understand. I come to this pulpit to expound the scriptures. And praise God 
that even though we may not fully understand the deep truths of God, that we can simply understand that this is good news, that God is offering us life and not death. See, Adam as our representative is really bad news. But Jesus Christ as our representative is a glorious and a good news. However, let's continue reading in verse 18 through 21. It says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul has just contrasted Adam and Christ, and now he begins to compare them. And he uses therefore, which sends us back to his original thought in verse 12. So from verse 12 all the way to verse 17, he's been making this continuous thought. And then he gets to a new thought here in verse 18, continuing that thought from verse 12. And verse 12, he said, just as sin came into the world through one man. And then in verse 18, he says, this one act of sin led to condemnation for all. And just as Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, so also... One act of righteousness, which was Jesus' willingness to go to the cross and die for your sins and my sins as our substitute, leads to the ability for all to cry out for salvation. And this is good news for all. Just as no one was exempt from being born as a sinner and living as a sinner, no one is exempt from being able to cry out to Jesus for salvation. See, this really is good news of great joy for all people. Hear me, Jesus didn't just come to save the Jew. He didn't just come to save the Gentile. He didn't just come to save the wealthy. He didn't come to save this particular race. He didn't come to save this particular nationality. But he is a savior for all. Remember who Paul was talking to. He was talking to a church that was divided over Jews and non-Jews. And they were having this argument over which customs should we have. And the point that Paul's making here and the point that we should take here is that Jesus didn't just come to save some people, but Jesus came so that all can be saved. And when we look around this room, we can see that we don't all look alike. And praise God for that. I pray that we continue to be a room of people who look differently who talk differently, who originated in different nationalities, who are from different generations. Because a church who looks differently is able to declare that while they may all look differently, we have a commonality and we have a common story. And that story is our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I rejoice that we don't all look the same in this room. Imagine if we all looked like me. We were portly, uh, sort of overweight, balding, rednecks. I mean, that might be humorous to see for a moment in West Texas, but pretty soon you would say, hey, they're just all gathered together because they like LSU and fried gator and catfish. But no matter when we gather in this room as a diverse people and we look differently and we talk differently and we originated in different nationalities and regions and we're different ages, just from the outsider looking in and seeing us all gather in this room, and they may say, what in the world do they all have in common together? And we can say, Let me tell you about my Jesus and how he saved a wretch like me. 
See, Jesus unites what this world divides. And the love of Jesus in us changes us. And I pray that we continue to look more and more different as time goes on so that people can see that our only confession and the only reason that we gather is because we hold a common confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul continues in verse 19. He says this with one final comparison between Adam and Christ, comparing the disobedience of Adam and the obedience of Christ. Paul says, as for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We saw Paul say something very similar in verse 15 where he used the imagery of trespass and free gift or sin and free gift. And then here in verse 19, he uses the language of disobedience and obedience. And Paul in both is talking about our legal status and how our legal status changes with regarding who our headship is, who our representative is. See, in Adam, as our representative, we are sinners We're condemned to death. We're in darkness, forever separated from the light of God. However, with our representative in Jesus Christ, our legal status can become righteousness, receiving the free gift of life, joined in a relationship with God forever, and joining him in heaven for all of eternity after our life here on this earth, always and forever joined in the light of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you are declared a sinner. And then look at yourself in Christ. And see, though you have done nothing, you are declared righteous. That's the parallel being made here. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. But when we find our representative in Jesus Christ, we can have life. 1 Corinthians 15 that we read at the beginning of our service is very fitting here. It says this, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise be to God that although the sting of death is, the sting of sin is death, that God has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This all sounds really good to us, and we could probably stop right here and be okay. But remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Jews as well. And so we come to verse 20, and one question that would have been raised by them at this time is, okay, well, this all sounds good, and this all sounds great, but we spend our whole life like memorizing the law and following the law and obeying the law and trying to do as good as we can. So where does this fit in with the picture of the law? Where does the law fit into this picture? Paul then proceeds to answer this question in verse 20. He said, the law came to increase the trespass. Or in other words, the law was given so that people could see how sinful they were and how much they needed a Savior. See, we see in the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is the invisible made visible. We see in John that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. So the Word of God showed how much they needed the Word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. In other words, the whole purpose of God's law, God's Word, and Jesus is to show us all how desperate we are as sinners in need of a Savior. See, the law was never intended to be for salvation, but to show and convince people of their need for a Savior. We can't look to our being perfect even more today than the Jews did of earning us salvation, but only through crying out to Jesus Christ. 
In fact, in verse 21, as Paul finishes his text for today, he says this, that in Adam, sin has sway over us. In Adam, sin rules over us, and we're under the dominion of death. But in Jesus Christ, grace reigns. Grace overcomes, and it leads to righteousness and eternal life. Through Christ and in Christ alone, we have victory over sin and death. And this is good news. See, we know this good news today called the gospel, don't we? That there is a God and he is holy. He created everything that we can see and we can touch and we can feel. And he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong, nor can he do anything wrong, nor can he be associated with anything that has been done wrong. But yet, as we've seen here, finding ourselves as Adam as our representative and finding ourselves as being sin, we've all done something that separates us from a God who is holy that keeps us from him. And this creates a problem because we're separated from him for all of eternity here on this earth and forever. But then we also see this good news. God loved us so much that he sent us a rescuer named Jesus Christ. He sent his only son who came to earth as a baby, being fully God and fully man. And he lived a fully perfect sinless life here on earth. But yet he went to a cross And he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. So that today, we don't have to remain separated from God in our sinfulness under our representative Adam. But we can have new life in Jesus Christ as our representative. Well, how does Jesus Christ become our representative? Well, we need to repent from our sin. That means we need to turn from our sin, recognize that we are sinful and turn from it. We need to have faith and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we need to follow him. Then we will be saved from our sin that separates us from God. Today, if you're a believer, I just want to remind you of that amazing truth. Christian, our trust and our faith lead us to obedience, but let's never buy the lie that somehow your obedience leads you to salvation, right? See, in Adam is death, but in Jesus Christ is life. Let's rejoice in that today. If you don't know that truth today, I would invite you to respond to that truth today, to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that's what God's Word says, and that's what God's Word means. But I wonder today how we might apply this to our lives. Today, I just have a few applications for us from our text. And I want our applications to be centered around 1 Corinthians 15 that we read at the beginning. And I just referenced it again a few moments ago. However, I believe as we read this passage, to frame, as we read this passage to frame out the beginning of our time, we also can find our application for our passage today in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 58. Let's read that again today. It says this in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the moral puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where I think that we can find our application today. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord is knowing that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So our first application today we can see as believers is this, is be steadfast. Because of our text today, be steadfast. As those of us who find our victory in the great mystery of salvation, let's first be steadfast. 
That means let's be firm, let's be unwavering, let's be stable in our confidence of who it is that has saved us and what he saved us from and what he saved us to. Hey, Christian, remember, you've done nothing to save yourself. You've done nothing to bring yourself from death to life. We're simply recipients of this great and this marvelous victory and the mystery of salvation. However, in our world today, there is much that is seeking to cause us to waver on what the truth of God's word declares, isn't there? It's seeking to cause us to not be steady in our proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hear me, the work of the enemy has not changed. He's still coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does this through by any means necessary of seeking to get you to declare that Jesus Christ alone is not Lord. Either by getting you to declare that you are Lord, or either by getting you to declare that something else or someone else is Lord. But hear me, our declaration must remain the same, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must stay steadfast and firm and unwavering in that confession. But it's hard, though, isn't it? Maybe not with our lips, but with our actions. I mean, I know the storms of life come, don't they? Like the bills pile up. Jobs are lost. Friends prove they're not who they said they were. Health issues come up. Death happens relationships begin to be tense. I mean, life is hard. And all of these things can tempt us to not stand upon our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. But just for a moment where you're at, I want you to remember who this Jesus is. I want to remind you who this Jesus is. He stood on a boat in the middle of a storm. And we have a Savior who stands on the boat in the middle of the storms of our life. And when everyone around him was panicked in our story, when we see him standing in the middle of a storm, he simply stood up and he told the winds and the waves to stop. And they obeyed him. However, when I used to read that story growing up, sometimes I would ask this question, like, if Jesus was in control the whole time, then why in the world was there a storm in the first place? Well, here's the conclusion I've come to as I've aged in my, and matured in my salvation. It's because if there ever wasn't a storm, we wouldn't know that we had a Savior that could tell the winds and the waves to stop. Hear me today, I don't know what all of you are going through. And I don't know, I know what many of you are going through, and I know what I'm going through, but I just want to remind you, and I want to remind myself, hey, Christian, we were dead in our sin, and Jesus made a way. And today, whatever it is that you're going through, would you hear me? God is still in control. God is still a God who tells the winds and the waves to stop and they listen and they obey him. So no matter what the storm of your life looks like today, we have a savior who is in control and he's still making a way. He's still the same savior. So today, would you just remember the sovereignty of our savior and let's remember the power of his presence. See, when we remember what he has done and who he is, May it cause us to remain steadfast in the storms of our lives today. Second application that we see is this. 1 Corinthians 15.58, we see that for those of us who find ourselves in the victory of this great mystery of salvation, that we're first steadfast. And second, also let us be immovable. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.11 that the steadfastness of Christ, which is rugged and it's firm and it's solid and it's unshakable, gives us the ability to rejoice in our sufferings, to endure with patience, with joy, to have an immovable joy. And I don't know about you, but today in this world, there is much, 
and it's seeking to rob me of my joy. I mean, it seems like it comes from every single angle, like the attacks come. And sometimes if I'm just being honest, I want to like move in the middle of nowhere and just go hide out from this world of sinfulness that we find ourselves as citizens in. However, we are called to be light in the darkness, not to hide the light that Jesus Christ has given us. However, no matter how much the world is coming after our joy, because of our text today, we can be reminded that although we were recipients of death through our sin in Adam, we are now recipients of life in Jesus Christ. And there is a great joy in that. Today, would you just re-examine where your joy is coming from? And true joy, everlasting joy, and always joys doesn't come from always having peace or possessions or comforts or whatever else we think it may come from. But it comes from having a Savior who has met our ultimate need, the forgiveness of our sins and reconciling our sins with Him, giving us life. That's where true joy comes from. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, John Piper said it this way. Paul didn't choose joy in Christ because he couldn't find joy anywhere else. He had tasted and enjoyed the success and the popularity of life. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the most zealous, the most blameless, the most recognized. But when he chose to follow Jesus, he surrendered all of that kind of life that others would have died for. He surrendered that life of happiness to follow Jesus for a life of more happiness, not less. In fact, when Paul wrote these letters in Philippians, rejoice always. Again, I tell you to rejoice. You know where he was sitting? In a prison cell. Give me a God who can satisfy me in a prison cell. Amen. Then when the winds and the, the ways of life come, then I'm not distracted from this immovable joy. See, to have an immovable joy means we don't root our joy in how well this life is going or how well we feel it's going or how we perceive it's going, but we root our joy in Jesus Christ because no one can take the joy that Jesus Christ in our salvation gives to us. And that's true in this world, isn't it? So much is coming for our joy. However, if our joy is rooted in Christ alone, it's an immovable joy because the body, they may kill, right? But God's truth abideth still. The body they may kill, but the, that's the worst they can do, right? Like, if you kill me, good. I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. I get to spend eternity with him, with God, away from the darkness of this world. So if that's the worst they can do, then let's have an immovable joy. Today, believer of Jesus Christ, be steadfast. Be immovable in this great joy that Jesus has given us. Mission Dorado, my prayer for us today is this is that God would restore to us daily the joy of his salvation, making us willing to obey him, and that that joy would be an immovable joy. And finally, our last application is this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we see for us who find our victory in this great mystery of salvation that we first steadfast, second, have an immovable joy, and finally let us result in abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, what does abounding mean? Well, that means to do a lot of it, right? Today, as believers who find ourselves in this great victory of this wonderful mystery of salvation, let's allow this great victory to result in us seeking to go over and above and outdoing one another and serving the Lord and doing lots of it. What does it look like to serve the Lord? Well, it's not just being a pastor. It's not just being a Sunday school teacher or being a Christian school teacher. It's not just being a missionary. But we see Paul saying in Colossians 3.17 that whatever you do, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard an old preacher say once that if you can't do it in the name of Jesus, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Amen. (laughs) But what does this look like practically? Well, first, abounding in our service in the Lord, it means going over and above in how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to outdo one another in our care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we're going to be with one another for all of eternity. We might as well get used to loving one another and caring for one another. That doesn't mean that we'll all like one another because we don't, but we should seek to love one another and to outdo one another in showing love. This also looks like serving the local church. A local church is God's chosen means of displaying his light to the darkness in this world. And this is Christ's bride, and we need to serve her well. I tell people often that our church is filled with the best volunteers, and it is. And we have amazing volunteers who are servants of the Lord. But let's not let up. Let's not let some serve and sit and observe. Let's all serve the local church. Finally, this also looks like sharing the gospel. Now, we've just gone through the Who's Your One initiative at our church where we were all praying for our one person to share the gospel with before Easter and to invite to our Easter services. And hey, hear me, uh, maybe your one that you're praying for didn't show up. Mine didn't either, and that, that's okay. Uh, maybe you didn't get to share with them yet, but let's not stop. Let's keep sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's keep inviting our friends and neighbors and coworkers to come to church. And I know some of you have told me, hey, it's really weird to do that at work. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't really get that. I don't understand that uh, because at my work, it's sort of accepted that I share the gospel, right? (laughs) However, I would say if it's weird at your work, just push through, like find times you can talk. Don't get fired unless you feel like the Lord's leading you to and then have a backup job, right? Uh, But, you know, like push through the awkwardness and you never know when it might be the last chance that you get to tell someone about Jesus Christ. I had someone in our church tell me this past week that, Hey, this coworker that I wanted to share the gospel with, he unexpectedly died and I never got the chance. We trust God to be sovereign in that situation, that like God sends uh, the person uh, that he wants to share the gospel with him. But hear me, God's sovereignty is also not a license for our inactivity uh, to share the gospel with others. Let's tell everyone we can how good Jesus is. The church, let's abound in the work of the Lord. So, hey, believer here today, what can we do with this text that we've seen? Having our headship either in Adam or a headship in Jesus Christ, our representative. Well, first, let's remember we were dead in our sins. We were literally born as sinners. And the sting of sin is death. But remember, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, be steadfast, be immovable in your joy, and let's always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Our big idea for today is this. While we were all born sinners and bound to death, Christ can cancel the record of our sin and offer us life. And let's spend that life serving him. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. Believer in the room with us today, maybe you're here today and you're just feeling hopeless. Or you're just like, I I just feel like I don't have any hope today. Would you remember, and don't let the enemy distract you, would you remember that today you have a new representative and his name is Jesus Christ? Let's rest in our Redeemer today. Hey, believer, maybe you're here today and you're just having to fight for joy. Like, it's just, it's hard right now. I get it. Hey, you're not alone. But would you just ask God where you are to restore to you the joy of your salvation daily? 
Maybe ask God to move you from any areas that you may be in disobedience and to move you to obedience. Hey, believer, maybe you're here today and you just need to come to this altar and you need to meet with God. Maybe you've just been in a dry spell last week or this past month and you just need to say, hey, God, here I am. Would you use me for your glory? Would you fill me with your spirit fresh and use me today? Hey, will we just be honest with God? Sometimes, sometimes we have walked away from our joy and we just need to be honest with God. Hey, would you just restore to me the joy of my salvation? Would you just draw me back to you? But let's not be okay with being passive pretenders of perfection today. Hey, maybe you're here today and uh, you've heard the gospel for the first time or you've been dwelling on the gospel, but you've never taken the step of responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe like you, you get what I've said, like you understand there's, there's two representatives, but you don't know if your representative is Jesus Christ. I've shared the gospel with us today uh, already. Would you just call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? If you don't know how to do that, would you, in a moment when we sing a song, would you just come down front and I can help you walk through that? Or would you see me after the service and I can help you walk through that or call me this week? But hey, in this moment, when we sing this invitation song, let's just use this as a response time. Whatever it is that you need to do, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, let's take this moment and let's not be in a hurry to leave, but let's just seek the presence of the Lord. Let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.